Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our special guest is Father Ed Broom with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He wrote an article on Catholic Exchange called Five Ways to Resist the Devil's Attacks. And, you know, we're in the Lenten season, and also we just got finished with a three-part series with Therese Picola, who went through an exorcism and all the things that uh, she had to endure over an 18-month period of time. Uh, So I think it's quite appropriate that we're talking about evil and remind people that evil exists. And Father, first of all, thanks for the article. It was spot on. I really enjoyed reading it. You're welcome. Thank you very much for really appreciating the article. I think you did a lot of good for the people that read on Catholic Exchange. There's about 1,400 likes, so I think it got a lot of publicity, praise the Lord. Well, and it needs to, because it's, you know, it's one of those things, you know, we live in a world where people try to deny evil exists, and that, that just makes it all the much easier for him to kind of move around and do what he wants to do. Yeah, Pope Paul VI, no, it was Pope Pius XII many years ago, it said the, the, the sin of the century is the loss of the sense of sin. That was, that was said about 70 years ago. And it's no less appropriate than it is today, that's for sure. So in the beginning, right, you know, you get into the destructive tools of the evil one, and then you get into ways we can resist. But I thought in the very beginning, you kind of describe who evil, who the devil is and kind of how he works. I thought, you know, that was really helpful to talk about, you know, one, he has a very keen intellect, but he's bent on perversity, evil, destruction, you know, plotting and conniving day and night. I mean, it almost reminded me of first, uh, reminded me of first Peter when we hear about how the evil one is like a, a lion that prowls about looking to devour somebody. You know, there's a lot of biblical uh, expressions for the devil and the saints. And also, they add their two saints. Um, among the many, you've got Satan, you've got the demon— You've got devil. Jesus in chapter 8 of the Gospel of John calls the devil the liar and murderer from the beginning. He's also called in the book of the Apocalypse the ancient serpent. There you see in the Genesis chapter 3, you see him as the serpent tempting Adam and Eve. And you've got also the title that Jesus gives him, Beelzebul which means the, the, the Lord of the Flies. So the, these are titles given in the Gospel as well as the Old Testament. Among the saints, some of my favorites are uh, Thomas Aquinas gives in his typical, concise way of, of expressing theological truth. He calls the devil the tempter. Is that the purpose of the devil, to tempt us? Then you've got um, Augustine says he's like an angry dog on a leash, and if we can maintain a distance, the dog will just bark, but he can't attack us. But right. if we get too close, he can bite us. Then um, Ignatius of Loyola calls him the enemy of human nature. So he's, uh, he's not our friend, he's our enemy. So these are uh, among the most, and then you mentioned one, Deacon, at the, at the start of the program, quoting St. Peter, calling him, he's like a a uh, roaring lion, right? Uh, on the loose, seeking he who he can devour, and we're called we're called to resist him in the faith. So those are typical names that explain this um, the, the malicious enemy toward our salvation. 
Well, and it's not, yeah, it's just not something to frighten us. It's something us to make aware of and to realize the dangers. And I think, you know, you did a really good job of, you know, kind of consolidating five ways that the devil really works and, you know, kind of his destructive tools. And the very first one you mentioned was desolation. And I thought maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit of how, if he can get us into desolation, we're kind of playing into his, uh, his hands. Yes. Um, it's a, it's a key word in the nation's spirituality and desolation is the state of soul where we, uh, we're, we're low on faith and hope and charity and we experience some sadness, some, um, uh, disorientation. Uh, we experience sometimes um, a bit of depression, uh, lower in our affect of life. Uh, people don't really seem to understand us or appreciate us. Uh, our life seems to be somewhat of a drag. Uh, our life doesn't really seem to have meaning. Um, an image I give is like uh, like Charles Dickens novels you're you're in you're in london and you're kind of like in a a foggy mist right or if you've ever been in pennsylvania the pennsylvania turnpike you got one of the longest tunnels in the states where you're in the tunnel it seemed to be you're in darkness until finally you get through the end of the tunnel and you're in the sunlight but um you seem to be in a place in your life where there's really no no way out and it seemed to get dark and darker and darker with that you know, we all go through it in one way or another. That's part of being human. However, um, we uh, we have to know what to do and what not to do because every person desolation, the devil will take advantage of that to um, to attack us. So, really, as Ignatius presents our spiritual life, it's combat zone. We are in in constant battle, you know, between the devil, the flesh, and the world. But in this our conversation, especially how the devil can try to get in and manipulate us and go for us and try to make us fall into sin. You know, you're absolutely right, because it puts us in a frame of mind that if we start feeling sorry for ourselves or start making, and I, I've, i you know, looked at the uh, uh, spiritual exercises, you know, if you start making major decisions, I mean, most you're almost always going to make a wrong one because you're not in the right frame of mind, and that's exactly what the evil wants you to do, right? That's a good point, yes is that um, when you're in that state, um, Ignatius would say in one of the rules, in the state of desolation, he says um, to make no changes, he would say, with respect to your, uh, with, with, with respect to your spiritual life. In other words, when we're in the state of desolation, the devil will try to get us to pray less, to give up our devotion, skip our rosary, go from a holy hour to a happy hour, um, not to have recourse to the sacraments. In other words, go, going from um, a spiritual life to a more sensual, pagan, hedonistic life. That's what he... That's what he's going to try to get us to do. So, um, and as you mentioned, Deacon, that um, when you're in that state, the, 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 the decisions and actions that you're going to carry out are going to be led by the Spirit, 
by the bad spirit, the devil. Right. And they're going to be they're going to be they're going to be catastrophic. I've often thought, why is it that many young people have recourse to suicide today? And um, I don't, I've never read an article on it yet, but um, one of the reasons why they find themselves in a very dense cloud of desolation, and they don't really know what to do. They feel that the only way out, the only solution is to um, just end their life. And uh, sad to say that uh, there's an epidemic of young people that are having recourse to that wrong decision in the moment of very profound, dense desolation. Yeah, and you you know we're at you're right. It's an epidemic right now, and you know you can't turn on the news or read a newspaper without hearing one of those tragedies. You know the other one of the other points, or the point you made after this, I thought was really helpful, was really to remind us that the evil one is going to take advantage of any weak point we have. And so an awareness of our major weaknesses, especially during Lent, is a great time to focus and to kind of turn them into a strength, right? Yes, I use the, um, man, that second point, major weak point, I I use the, uh, the words of that program 50 years ago, Superman. Yeah. Uh, Superman was... Superman was very strong, but except when he was exposed to kryptonite. Exposed to kryptonite, he was as weak as anyone else. Or you might call it the Achilles heel, or when Samson had his long hair and it was cut because of Delilah. Then uh, you have vulnerability and weakness. So all of us have to uh, have to be aware that when we are in that state of desolation, the devil's going to lift up his uh, bow and arrow. He's going to be shooting for the kill. Good one to find out our, our, our weak point is through spiritual direction, but also to go through um, Ignatius uh, insists that we do a meditation upon what are called the capital sins. And um, through the capital sins, we're able to see where is where is our kryptonite. It might be gluttony. It might be lust, it might be avarice, it might be sloth, it might be anger, it might be envy, it might be, je- uh, it might be uh, jealousy, it might be pride. Those are the, those are the capital sins. Those are the, ba- the, the basic kryptonites of the human person as a result of original sin. And... If you can locate that through prayer and spiritual direction, and when you find yourself in desolation, if you're aware of it, then you can place up a bulwark or rampart to prevent the enemy from attacking you and um, shooting you down. So the Desert Fathers are very strong on a toward axiom, know thyself. if Socrates put it this way, a life that's not examined is a life not worth living. And the famous historian has put it this way, that he who does not know history is condemned to repeat the same errors. So I think we can apply that to our own personal um, tragedy. We all have our own tragic moral tragedy that we fall often because of ignorance as to um, what is our weak point. Another way I like to bring this out is, um, is even in even in 
sports like baseball, like the Rockies, maybe against the Yankees, something like that. They're going to be looking for what is the what is the major weak point in that batter, and the pitcher is going to be using either the curveball or the screwball or the slider or whatever to be able to get that batter to to strike out or or at least pop out. So self knowledge is very very important, and the devil the devil knows this pretty well. He can't read he can't read our our, our thoughts, but he knows our past. He knows our history. He knows our um, our ancestors. He knows he knows where we fell in the past, so he can kind of anticipate on how to tempt us that we fall once again into a trap. Yeah, I always I uh, preached on it uh, a couple weekends ago, and I I mentioned for those of you who somehow lack self awareness, if you're married or have family living with you, all you need to do is ask them, and they would be more than happy to point out the weaknesses that we have. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, you know, your other point, you know, you talk about, I think is really good too, is the social environment. You talk about the internet, you talk about temptation, uh, you know, poisonous material. I mean, it's kind of, you know, putting ourselves in a position to be tempted, isn't it? Yes. Um, we, we don't like to hear this, and maybe we don't want to admit it, but uh, the whole idea of the Internet and the telephone and the use of having recourse to pornography is a very uh, key tool or um, arm that the, that the devil will use in many cases. I'd say in everyone, but especially, uh, especially men, they find themselves in a state of desolation and sadness and things are really not going well, the devil can easily suggest, well, if that's the case, why don't you just, um, you know, go into your, into the quiet of your room and put on the internet or the phone and, and download or check out some image that we know in our heart of hearts, in our conscience, it's not, it's not good. Then we fall. And what happens is once you, once we fall, there's always the, the danger of, of going back to that fall. As the, as the Bible points out, the, the dog returns to his vomit. <laughs> yeah. And the sow wallows in his mire. Unfortunately, when we have that type of habit, and that, the, uh, the habit of pornography is highly addictive. Some of the experts say that it's even more highly addictive than that of um, of cocaine, it's easy to go back to that and to form a habit, and then you have the vice, and once the vice has been deeply rooted within us, then you enter into what is called rationalization and justification, then you enter into denial, and then what happens is, instead of admitting that we're doing something wrong, we say, well... Men will be men. Boys will be boys. We live in the year 2020 in the United States. No one's perfect. God is, our God is the loving God. Why would God con- condemn me in something that's so normal? In other words, we can be so de- deten- desensitized to the reality of evil that our conscience, conscience becomes callous. We can depress our conscience. We can... um put our conscience to sleep. We can even cauterize or even we can even we can even kill our conscience. That sometimes happens. 
especially as, uh, as Aquinas points out, when you're when you're addicted to um, some type of uh, sexual sin, uh, we suffer from a spiritual blindness. We're not able to see with the clarity of what Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see, see God, because we're blinded by our own lusts. We, we see in the example of David when he, when he was responsible for the sin with Bathsheba, or we're going to be coming upon this in about two and a half weeks, the book of Daniel, when the elders purposely, they failed to raise their eyes to heaven, and they, they, uh, put their conscience to sleep, and they wanted to take advantage of the chase Susan. Yep. Susanna. Yep. So, uh, yeah, these are, uh, you know, the devil, <laughs> he knows what he's doing, and if, if we're ignorant about his tactics, I, I think we're in real danger. We, we're not keenly aware of the, the way that he's prowling around like that lion that Peter says, ready to devour. Yeah, and so that, that's why uh, I thought your article was really good uh, to raise awareness and again, for those listening, it's on, uh, the article's on Catholic Exchange. It's called The Five Ways to Resist the Devil and His Attacks. What I'd like to do before we run out of time and, and people can look at the, uh, you know, the other attack methods that he uses, I'd like to talk about some of the ways to resist the devil that you mentioned. And the very first one was fervent prayer, kind of prayer, prayer, prayer. Yes. One, one of the best biblical passages to flesh this out is... Um, it's actually the first sorrowful mystery, which our Lord is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And our Lord is actually in a very, very profound state of desolation, in which Fulton Sheen says that all the sins of humanity are descending upon him like a torrential downpour of rain. Our Lord is just over, almost overwhelmed by this desolation of the sins of all humanity, and um, you see a marked contrast. That contrast is that the apostles, Jesus says, stay awake and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The apostles, they fall asleep. Not once. But yeah, co- yeah, a couple times. of times, yeah. Yeah. But then our Lord, what does he do? The gospel points out that our Lord prayed all the more fervently, so much so that he sweat big drops of blood, and God the Father sent him the angel to give him consolation. So if we want to conquer uh, the devil, then we have to have recourse to God, and that is having recourse to prayer. We're not distracted prayer. But praying with fervor, praying with our heart, praying with our whole self, because fervent prayer is is the key to salvation, the key to overcoming any temptation whatsoever. So that's the first thing I put on the list of the remedies to to conquer the enemy. Yeah, and then you mentioned after that you mentioned penance, right? So why is penance so important? Well, Deacon, you probably remember when you preached on this about a week and a half ago. The first Sunday of Lent, we encounter for our Lord in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Yep. And what happens is the devil at the end comes to tempt our Lord. And the Lord is able to conquer the devil 
by using three tools, fervent prayer those 40 days. The second is Jesus spent those 40 days fasting from food and drink. And the last tool he used was the, the use of the Word of God, because the devil came at him with the Word of God, but our Lord actually used the Word of God to defeat the devil. So Jesus is going to go on to say that some devils are cast out only by prayer and fasting. If you want, a, if you want an example from the life of a saint, probably the best would be that of the Curie of ours, or St. John Maria Vianney. Yep. What, what did he do? I mean, he, he enters into this little town where it's basically paganism, and he applies himself to long hours of prayer, and then he starts to fast. He goes, uh, you know, days without eating, and then he's basically eating, you know, two or, you know, two or three potatoes a day, and he's sleeping on the ground. He's actually chastising his body. And uh, as a result of that, not only is this town transformed, but thousands of people go, at the end of his life, he's spending, you know, 15, 16 hours in the confessional, and you've got people waiting two to three days to be able to go to confession to this man who practiced very fervent prayer, but he took penance very seriously also. Maybe we can't do that that the cure of ours did, or we can't spend 40 days, 40 nights without eating anything, but all of us can give up something. Right. And in the life of penance, it's better to start with something small and to be faithful than to make some extravagant promise, and then we end up by giving it, giving it up after 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, if you have no shot at doing it. I'd like to skip to, to the, the fourth one you had because it involves uh, your founder, Venerable Bruno Lanteri. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. Which is, you know, I, I, and I, you know, we have several oblates here in uh, Denver, and I hear, you know, a lot, you know, begin again, right? Get up and begin again. Exactly. And um, my founder, Venerable Father Bruno Lanteri, has a classical to a uh, word uh, saying nunc chepi. And really what that means is, um, is now I begin. Meaning that and we're all we're all weak. We all um, we're all very fragile. We're all uh, <laughs> we all have tendencies toward evil. But the worst thing is not falling into sin. But the worst thing is not being ready and willing to get up after you fall. So if if we fall, we we have to be humble and admit that we did fall, then we have to get up. And we have to return to God with all our heart, return to God through the sacrament of confession. Uh, the psalm says that God is slow to anger, but he's very rich in mercy. And my father goes on to say, if you fall a hundred times a day, get up. Don't stay down. Get up, you're going to be forgiven and start a new life. And even Aquinas says that after a fall, if you really prepare yourself well to make a good confession, you can actually be more holy after the fall than before the fall. If you prepare yourself well for confession, you, you're sincerely sorry, and you place all the means to try to avoid the near occasion of sin. 
So the idea of, of getting up again is is part and parcel of becoming a saint because the saints fall, but they're instead of being play, like Plato, they're like a Super Bowl. You know, they don't go plop, but rather they they're resilient. They bounce even higher after their fall. Many of the saints, right? Well, saints are sinners that just kept falling down and getting back up, right? I mean, it was that perseverance piece of it. That that's the key, you know, is uh, God sees uh, sees the goodwill of the individual and yeah, getting up. But sometimes it's our own pride. Uh, Pope Francis, in one of his early earliest homilies on this confession, said, um, someone asked him, well, who are you? And he said, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Almost off the bat when he was uh, elected Pope. And then he said also that um, uh, God never tires of forgiving us but we get tired of asking for forgiveness. I've always liked that. Yeah, very appropriate. Yeah, God, God never gets tired of uh, of giving us forgiveness, but we, because of our pride and sometimes because of the devil himself, we uh, we get tired of asking for forgiveness. Well, and I really, I mean, I thought this article again was very timely, and you know, the good thing is it's not just for Lent; it's something to remind us to do all year round and. You know, we're down to about the last 30 seconds or so, Father. Uh, do you write a lot of things on Catholic Exchange? I mean, can people follow you on there with other articles? Yes, I say uh, about the past five years, Catholic Exchange has uh, published one of my articles. So they usually publish it, they post it rather, I, on um, usually on Monday, and then they'll keep it on for about four days, and I've been doing it, yeah, i say about the past five years, and I've written a couple, few books also. I wrote a book from Hum, Drum to Holy, from Sophia Press, Consecration uh, to Jesus, to Mary and the Rosary, and then uh, the last one was by hand publisher, Roadmap to Heaven, which is a, it's a plan of life and how we can arrive uh, at our eternal destiny, which is heaven. Yeah, you just click in the Catholic Exchange, you'll you'll see um, one of my articles, and yeah, people people seem to like it. Otherwise, I don't think they'd be posting. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, I I thought it was really good. It caught my eye the minute I saw it. So I want to thank you for doing that, and thank you for spending time with us today to really kind of awaken people that hey, it's dangerous out there, but you don't need to fret or be afraid. Just draw closer to the Lord. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.